0: Good evening. In this setting, the first word is like throwing a stone into a very still pond. You don't even really recognize how still the pond is until you can perceive the ripples. I feel some reluctance to Toss that stone, but that's what I'm supposed to do. So, excuse me. It's really nice to be here with you. I think it's been a while since I've been, since I've been, since I've spoken here or visited here. Can you hear? Uh, let me move this a little closer, rather than turning it up. Let me move it a little closer to my mouth. Is that any better? Okay. Um, I think I'm going to be back in June. Gil asked me to put together uh, an evening of music and dharma. And so we're going to do that sometime early June with uh, Betsy Rose and uh, Venerable Hung Shur and myself, which I don't know what it's going to be like. Those guys actually have Buddhist songs. All I know are old songs that embody the dharma, but uh, maybe not so explicitly. Anyhow, uh, tonight I'd like to talk for a while and then leave leave room for discussion. I'd like to talk about love. So uh, I was thinking, you know, the question is, what's love got to do with it? And by the time I finish this talk, you may really be asking that question. I'd I'd like to start with a a verse from... uh, from Dante, from the Divine Comedy. In that abyss, I saw how love held bound into one volume all the lives whose flight is scattered through the universe around, how substance, accident, and mode unite, fused, so to speak, together in such wise that this, I tell you, is one simple light. Well, I'm not sure how simple the light is, but fused in, subsa- in substance, accident, and mode. This is what this is what our lives are. Every year or so, I've been at Berkeley Zen Center for a long time now, <coughs> and heard a lot of uh, talks by my teacher, uh, Sojan Weitzman, and every year you know at the end of the talk we have question and answer and sooner or later someone will ask how come you never talk about love which uh irritates him greatly and his response i've heard him say this several times that's all i talk about mm-hmm. and i think that that is actually at the essence of the dharma that we're practicing uh in japanese uh, the word there's one word or one character for heart and mind. Uh, often in this culture, we split those. <clears throat> we think well, the mind is here and the heart is here, and uh, we're not we're a little vague on what the connection is. But in that one simple ideogram is uh, the life of our practice, this heart and mind. I think a couple things came together to make me think about this for a talk. Last month, I gave a talk during Sesheen uh, at Berkeley, and someone quoted something from a book, a new book, <coughs> Uh, It's called Blink. Has anyone heard of that? By Malcolm Gladwell. It's about, essentially, it's about our intuitive mind. And so she loaned me this book, and I, it's really interesting, and I read along in this one pack, so it just really grabbed me. So he's talking about, in the context of talking about intuition. And opening of heart and mind as one. He gets into a discussion about improvisational theater, and it turns out I didn't know much about improvisational theater, but he cites a book which I I had read and forgot a number of years ago. A book called Impro by Keith Johnstone, and um, it seems there are, there are not a lot of rules in at least Keith Johnstone's method, but there's one central rule, which is the rule of agreement, the rule of acceptance. That is the basic way to create a story, create interaction, create humor. As Keith Johnstone writes, if you'll stop reading for a moment and think of something you wouldn't want to happen to you or to someone you love, then you'll have thought of something worth staging or filming. We don't want to walk into a restaurant and be hit in the face by a custard pie, and we don't want to suddenly glimpse Granny's wheelchair racing towards the edge of the cliff, but we'll pay money to attend enactments of such events. In all of our in life, most of us are highly skilled at suppressing action. All the improvisation teacher has to do is to reverse this skill. Bad improvisers block action, often very skillfully. Good improvisers develop action. Uh, so here is an exchange uh, in an improvisation in one of Johnstone's classes. A: I'm having trouble with my leg. B. I'm afraid I'll have to amputate. A, you can't do that, doctor. B, why not? A, because I'm rather attached to it. (laughs) B, losing heart. Come on, man. A, I've got this growth on my arm, too, doctor. The two actors involved in the scene quickly became very frustrated. They couldn't keep the scene going. Actor A had made a joke, and a rather clever one. I'm rather attached to it. But the scene itself wasn't funny. So Johnstone stopped them and pointed out the problem. Actor A had violated the rule of agreement. His partner had made a suggestion, and he had turned it down. He had said, you can't do that, doctor. So the two started again, only this time with a renewed commitment to agreeing. <coughs> a. Ah! B. Whatever is it? A. It's my leg, doctor. B. This looks nasty. I shall have to amputate. A. But it's the one you amputated last time, doctor. (laughs) B. You mean you've got a pain in your wooden leg? A. Yes, doctor. B. You know what this means. A. Not Wormwood, doctor. (laughs) B, yes, we'll have to remove it before it spreads to the rest of you. Then uh, A's chair collapses. (laughs) B, my God, it's spreading to the furniture. (laughs) So um, this is... um, this is a way of thinking about love and it's a way of thinking about our practice. Uh, uh, Johnstone talks about blocking and blockages and uh, the Tibetan teacher uh, Chogyam Trungpa writes the everyday practice is simply to develop a complete acceptance and openness to all situations and emotions and to all people experiencing everything totally without mental reservations and blockages so that one never withdraws or centralizes onto oneself so that one never is caught by our self-centered thinking there are a number of different kinds of loves that are love that's outlined in uh, various uh, various teachings. Uh, In Greek, we have the notion of eros, which is uh, sexual love, passionate love. Uh, It's important. It's also, it just arises. It's the energy. uh, We have passions for many things, and that energy keeps us going. Uh, It gives us gives us some oomph gives us some drive <coughs> but it's also very it's a very sticky kind of love uh, first of all it's it's sticky but it goes away because you can't passion doesn't stay at that kind of intensity you can't hold on to it it just slips away uh, and also because of its stickiness, uh, it's very easy for us to get caught on it uh, and uh, enter into our dream of self-fulfillment. To enter into a place where um, that passion, that eros is so strong, it's actually about us, and we're not seeing the other person clearly. It's It's tricky. It's not that that can't be done in passion, but that it's, it's quite difficult. The second kind of love is uh, uh, sometimes known as philia, which is just this warm affection that we have for our friends and our family and a feeling of, of connection that is uh, kind of special connection. That also arises naturally and is really important in our lives. Um, the third kind of love, sometimes in Greek, I think it's known as agape. Uh, and this is what's also in Buddhism uh, we might call Maitri uh, or Metta. Uh, it's unconditional love. Uh, In our tradition, uh, in the Metta Sutta lines, at least in in the translation we use, you probably use something similar, uh, just as a mother watches over and protects her only child, so with a boundless mind should one suffuse love over the entire world. So that model for the Connectedness and uh, selfless caring of a mother and a child is the model that we should use, that we we have to cultivate to apply to everyone. Uh, it's also similar to what Jesus was teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, where he says, uh, I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you, and pray to them that despitefully use you. Uh, This is how difficult and challenging that kind of love is. And to think of it in terms of uh, that Keith Johnstone lays out, Our lives are one big improvisation and what we need to do is to keep turning towards the situation that arises. If we have a problem, we have to turn towards it. If we have difficulty with someone, we have to turn towards them. This is a very challenging spiritual teaching, and that's, I think, one of the wonderful things about Jesus' teaching, uh, that he was willing to do that, um, even to endure all the consequences of that. (coughs) We do this in our relationships, we do this in in our partnerships, in our marriages. It's not to say that there isn't eros and there isn't philia, but we cultivate this kind of total acceptance. Uh, We don't always like all the things that our partner might do, Uh, but if we're cultivating love in the context of practice, we turn towards them, we keep turning towards them, rather than blocking. When you block something, nothing creative will arise. When you say yes to it, or turn towards it, accept it, then something creative can happen. It may not always be fun, and it may not be what you bargained for. Uh, in fact, it's almost never what you bargained for because that's just your mind thinking it's what is really happening with another person with the people in our community with people around the world to turn towards them instead of shutting them out we can all think of I'm sure every one of us can think of something we did today that Close the door for whatever reason, out of fear or out of uh, our own depletion, out of busyness, uh, out of uh, concern that to say yes would mean to ourselves off from something that we might want. So we can all see that, catch ourselves doing this. And you know the admonition here the lesson from this, of this improvisation, is just to turn towards it. This is something that is, uh, I think it's embedded in the meditation practice that we do. You know, I'm not sure what what particular teachings, uh, what particular methodology uh, or approach to meditation you use. I have some general sense, but I think that what's pretty common, uh, certainly common in our Zen training, and in, in uh, the Zen training that, that Gil had, which it has, which I think infuses. His teaching is uh, not to reject anything that arises in your mind. Uh, Not to get stuck on it either. Now this turning may be very subtle. It's not like you have to throw your arms around your thoughts or feelings. But You have to see it. You have to see what is arising. And even if it's for just a moment, turn towards it in a completely accepting way. And similarly, let it go in a completely accepting way. Um, This is what we have to do with our suffering. It's very difficult when uh, when we're ill or when we see someone that we love who is ill. Uh, all we want is, you know, our habit mind just wants this to go away. And we have to train ourselves to turn towards it, to understand uh, that as difficult as it is, it's actually what's happening at the moment, and there's nothing really more helpful or productive to do but to turn towards it. You can turn towards it, uh, you know, depending upon the situation, uh, you know, to take on something as a challenge, even to, in a sense, engage or do. I say battle with something is also turning towards. Uh, But it's this engagement. It's rather that than walking away or turning away or trying to turn one's back or trying to pretend that something doesn't exist. So this is... um, In here, in this room, in your retreats, in your practice at home, uh, this is all a laboratory for love. Uh, We apply this love to ourselves, this complete acceptance, by turning towards ourselves. And we do something that's very interesting, very mammalian, um, we're sitting together in this room, and are sitting together. It, it's a little, little crowded in here, uh, but that very crowd creates comfort, safety. It creates a, you know, a connection with that deep mammal part of our brain, where uh, even though. Each of us comes in here with our difficulties, our concerns, and our suffering. When we're sitting together, uh, we're creating this warm and loving atmosphere together. We're co-creating it. We're improvising this. And it's really amazing. because it can happen anywhere. Uh, I went, uh, I, I go often go into, uh, to teach in uh, federal prison, women's prison, in Dublin, California. And uh, I took, there's a young woman who's uh, working in the BPF's base program who came in with me last week for the first time. And she was really nervous she'd never been in a prison. Um, this is not the—it's not the harshest of prisons, but it is prison. You—you know—you're thoroughly checked and searched, and there's—you know—there's guards patrolling, and there's—you know—three fences with razor wire on the top, and the—the the at, the atmosphere is quite controlled. Uh, and we sat in—we sit in the chapel. We go—we go out weekly, one or another of us. Uh, I've been doing this for a long time. We sit in the chapel in a circle, and uh, uh, this woman, Sarah, as we were walking out, it was really, her first comment was, that was so normal, you know. uh, And I said, well, yeah, because it's just people sitting together. And we're sitting in a circle. Even in this very unsafe atmosphere where uh, certain of these women might not outside of this room feel entirely comfortable being with or talking with each other, in the context of this room, sitting together, doing this practice, breathing together, watching our awareness mindfully together, Uh, we do some chanting. Uh, it's a zone of safety and connection. And the feeling of love and warmth is uh, really palpable. And usually, I mean, the women are very appreciative and they flat out say that this is the only safe place that they experience all week. So that's you know, that's an extreme situation. And yet we all crave the same connection. Uh, You know, so today, uh, everybody's here. It was really raining hard when I came in. sounds like it's ebbed a little bit. Uh, But, because of the love that you may not even be fully aware of. Each of us came here tonight. Uh, This was our, you know, our participation in the improvisation was to come and not be blocked by the bad weather, but to accept, to accept the rain as, oh, this is the Dharma rain falling down, you know, and uh, get a little damp out there and we come in here and we can get completely soaked. I think I'll I'll stop talking and open up for questions. Let me close with this, uh, again, with this verse from, uh, from Dante. In that abyss, I saw how love held bound into one volume all the lives whose flight is scattered through the universe around. How substance, accident, and mode unite, fused, so to speak, together in such wise that this, I tell you, is one simple light. Thank you. The floor is open for comments, thoughts, questions. Do you pass around a microphone? sticky, um, and also the passion goes away. Um, could you say a little more about what you mean by sticky? I can imagine yes. what you mean, but and, and perhaps some of the implications of, of this. Right. Uh, what I meant by, I mean, uh, I'm thinking from, even from a recent experience of someone that I spoke with who, the word that he used was, in, he found himself entranced by feelings that arose between him and another person that, uh, frankly, if he had used his better judgment, he shouldn't have pursued them. But he was, it was like sticky like a web in that sense. And I, I'm just, I'm talking about this, I'm just saying that this is an aspect. This is not... I'm not trying to be negative about it. I'm just saying one has to be really careful. So, And what one has to be careful of is that the feeling that arises in me, say, if I think I have fallen in love with another person, especially if I'm not heeding this, you know, the other circumstances of my life, uh, the stickiness is we get caught in this web of this dream of self-fulfillment, that you want better sex, you know, better love, better whatever than what you already have. Now, of course, it's not that you don't deserve it or that or that that's not sometimes relevant, but uh often it is a way of turning a turning away from the situation that already that really does exist in your life. It's it's a really a matter of judgment. I'm not making a sweeping statement. Does that answer a little? Yeah. Actually we are sticky. It's not heroes is sticky. We are. We've got all these it's like it's like we're walking around like with this incredible Velcro suit and all these things come out and they stick to us. Yeah. Could you say some more? Yeah. Uh, could you could you describe whether that's a, a positive or a negative or if it's just from uh other people's viewpoint or your own viewpoint, whether or not there's any uh, good or bad attached to that? Yeah. Um it's really i'm trying to be careful here if what we value is things as they are and this is a you know a buddhist approach to to just appreciate things as they are and recognizing that uh, our lives are unfolding that's so that's the aspect of complete acceptance. Suzuki Roshi said, uh, you are perfect just as you are and you need some improvement. You know, So there's that side too. The dream of fulfillment, so often, well, here's what I can say really succinctly. Most of the problems that we have are because we want things to be different than how we're perceiving them. Almost every... I mean, it's very hard to think of a single problem that, that arises for us that, where that's not the case. Now, sometimes, it would be good for things to be other than as they are. And this is a side that... Buddhism doesn't talk much, say, about justice. Uh, but all of us grew up in the context where justice is a very high and important principle. And we have to work out for ourselves just how we sit with that, just how we sit with that tension between things as they are and perhaps things as we feel they appropriately should be. But just in a very direct way, so many of just most of the problems we have is because we want things to be some other way than they are we certainly want that person we want him to be different from how he is because that would make my life a lot easier we see that this is this is an expression of not agreeing you know what happens when say there's somebody that you're uncomfortable with and instead of wanting them to be some other way, you actually can turn towards them and accept them. This is exactly how they are, and I'm not going to reject them. So that's, that's just a, a beginning, but it's, this is infinite. It's not subject to... I mean, I'm making a broad statement. It's not subject to a rule. And the thing is, we also, we really experience this in our meditation. All the time. You know, am I doing this right? You know, what's my concentration like? Or I'm tired, or I don't feel like being here, or my legs hurt, or whatever. And just when we're sitting for a long time, we sink into some other place, right? That's beyond wanting it to be some other way. And I'm just, once, when you can really... When you have an opportunity really to touch that and taste that, uh, then you see another level of your life that uh, is too often hidden. And you also, you want that for everybody. That's the, again, the aspect of love. You wish that, that everybody could really touch themselves deeply, whether you like them or not, but that's our human wish. I wish you could say a few words about uh, the situation that's going on in my life right now. In a word, insomnia. I'm having trouble sleeping lately, and I don't like it at all. I I go vacillate between being angry about it, being afraid of it. What if I can't sleep enough? What's going to happen? So I wonder, I mean, I have trouble turning towards that, and perhaps you could address that. Well, I suspect from having actually, I, I very rarely have that experience now, because I have to get up at five in the morning, and it's just I'm exhausted all the time, so, so I go right to sleep. But um, you know, I've had this in the past, and what I what I f- remember, uh, and it comes up in the context of other illnesses, is that. I get caught in my anxiety. I get scared. You know, it's like, and I spin out from this momentary experience uh, of not being able to sleep. I create a whole narrative about what it's gonna be like because I can't sleep. And then that's scary. And then one might do Relatively desperate things kind of writhing around in that fear or wiggling around in that fear, whatever it is. Instead of just accepting, well, I can't sleep now. Sooner or later, I'm going to sleep. And not resisting it if you can. I know that that's, I mean, again, this is simplistic advice. Or a simplistic analysis, because you may know, oh, I have to go to work, or I have to do this or that. That's uh, that's going to call for my attention. But still, the the suffering arises with the anxiety. You know, as you notice that anxiety rising, you know, can you try to notice? Can you really try to see? Oh, that anxiety and and. Breathe into it, deconstruct it, just see. I'm holding on to the anxiety, and the anxiety is holding on to me, and this doesn't really have to do with the fact that I can't sleep. So it calls a very mindful deconstruction of the of the feeling that you're actually having. That's about as close as I can you say more about the um, sitting with justice or injustice um, because it seems like if you don't want to accept injustice it's not accepting it and um, so I don't know about that. I don't know about being an activist in certain issues and how that plays in with acceptance. Well, it's really difficult. It's a complete work in progress. You know, there's what often comes up, you know, invariably what comes up is the Hitler question, or nowadays in some circles, and I, I may not even be safe to say here the, you know, the Rumsfeld question. But um, in fact, I keep going back to this this teaching of Martin Luther King, where he said, "You love." your enemy you love your opponent and you oppose their action and that's that's really the challenge what i see in myself and you know in discussions with <coughs> with other activists is that again and again we want to personalize we want to we want to We want to hate that person for all that they're doing. And we have a very difficult time separating a person as a human being. I had this, this is maybe a good place to, to stop, I had this very powerful dream a couple of months ago, which I thought was, it was actually maybe the most encouraging dream I ever had in my life. I was sitting in some bedroom, face to face with a very uh, old Ronald Reagan, who was close to death. And we were looking at each other in his eyes, and I can see his eyes. They were brown and sort of runny, the way sometimes a person who's old and ill can be uh, and they were sad and bewildered. And I felt in this dream <clears throat> a tremendous outpouring of love. At the same time, in the dream, I just thought, what's going on here? I've been in total opposition to everything that this person did in his political life that I can that I can remember. Uh, <clears throat> I think this came about around the time that he died, and there were various stories, particularly told by his children, that were very strong. Uh, and I just felt, at that point, there was a real separation between the human being that was sitting very close in front of me, who was a human being in all the sense that of us in this room is, separating that from his misguided policies. And again, this has got to be, this is a very strong tension and dynamic that we work with in ourselves, because it is people who enact policies. And in certain senses, in certain sense, you have to They need to be held responsible for them. But being held responsible is not the same as cutting them off from the source of our love or our compassion. I think that's a good place to end. Thank you very much.